0: Well, it's important to know your superpowers and to also know, you know, know your blind spots and
1: Stites Clayton with us, the former CTO and the former CEO of Teespring, co-founded with his friend Walker Williams back at the Browns University. Uh, the company had recognition uh, back in, it was formed back in 2020.
0: 2011.
1: 2011, but you guys didn't get recognition until 2016 when it really started blowing up when a, a few people made a mul- became multimillionaires off your guys' website.
0: Yeah. So I would say, um, our success, the kind of ramping up of our success really started in 2013. And then through 2013, 14 and 15 was when the company was really exploding and growing a lot. Uh,
1: a website that creates and sells products, uh, with no cost or risk for the people. And also was presented <laughs> in the Forbes under 30, uh, 30 under 30 with, uh, you and your friend Walker Williams being presented on that magazine. Uh so I want to get started by uh, your degree. How did you get into computer science?
0: Um so yeah, let's talk about that. So when I when I got to college, um I knew that I wanted to do something creative. Um I was interested in a few different subjects and I I wasn't exactly sure what like career direction I wanted to take. Um but I've certainly was thinking that it would be great to be a, to to have some skills that would either allow me to have a job or that would help me um, to if it came to that, like um, starting my own company. So so um, when I I remember um, being at the career fair and uh, talking to the different professors for the different like degrees, and I was this was my sophomore year and I still hadn't decided what I wanted to study, <laughs> and I, I um. I asked, I remember I asked like one of the computer science guys like point blank, um, if I do this degree, will I be able to get a job when I graduate? And they said, yeah, like definitely you'll get a job. No question about it. And I was, it was the only, it was really the only professor, the only department that could tell me that, that was so confident that like I would definitely have employable skills. And so the combination of knowing I'd be like building a, real skill for the job market and a skill that i could also use to build my own creative projects that was really what got me into cs um and i mean i had already been dabbling i already was kind of a coder a little bit here and there but that really uh that was where i took took, kind of took the dive said hey i want to actually study this subject and i think that there's a lot of opportunity in the space obviously tech
1: what kind of what kind of projects did you do while like in high school or something that you kind of were like you know what i could possibly be good at programming
0: yeah i started coding when i was in middle school um i started doing some like after school uh, even elementary school some basic programming but then really like my my initial exposure to to coding was with just html and css and designing web pages and that was something that i like, you know, I rebuilt my middle school's website when I was in middle school um, and um, other projects like that I did throughout the years. But yeah, my first, like my first website was my school's site. Like we had this pro- program called Web Workers where kids would like stay after school and learn to like work on the website. And after a little while, I got good enough with it where I was like, like yeah, I can just redo the whole thing. Um, and uh, And then, yeah, through high school, I mean, high school... Doesn't really encourage you to code. No, most of the work that you do in high school is not programming work. So that's um, so there was I didn't I wasn't doing a ton back then, but I still had my HTML skills. So when I when I got to college, I had like a little bit of JavaScript skill, but mostly I was I had just done like you know building websites.
1: See, HTML and CSS were also my first uh, experience I had with programming back in high mm-hmm. school. My my principal. Knew- a course based upon my request because i went to a oh. school with only 100 kids in it so he was like sure you seem like an educated kid why not we'll yeah. do something like that
0: i think that's great yeah i'm really happy to hear that you made that suggestion because i think that um those are skills that you know kids can learn at really any age and um it's it's really especially i mean i think html css is such a good place to get started just because you can Really, just see the results of what you're doing right away. You know, you build a website. You can move around the little the text. You can change the font. Like it's just, it's a really good introduction to coding. And then, but then obviously there's a big leap between that and um, actual like you know procedural code <laughs> that runs. So right. then you have to learn that too. <laughs>
1: so you go through. So you go you go to Brown's and you get your computer science and you're in it. And then it comes time for your first uh first internship. And so you go to seed stage. How was that?
0: Like, you know, like as far as going into an early stage company as my first job, you mean? Yeah. Um, it was a, it was a great challenge. Like my first, my first internship was with Walker. Um, it was before Teespring. We, we had, um, he had another company going called Soul that was like the student job board thing. And it was kind of like a typical college startup. Like, really not something that I think had a lot of legs to like go out and become something, but it had some ingredients like Walker himself, I think, you know, he was like learning how to ship product and talk to users. And so I got involved with that and, um, came on board and like basically built, you know, built out the website over the summer, my junior year. Um, and yeah, it was a good experience. I think it's like, um, if you want to start doing entrepreneurship, then, um, You really want to immediately start doing the process of like building something and shipping it and having people use it and just going through that full loop of like ideation, creation, user feedback. And expect that, you know, most of your initial projects aren't exactly going to be the thing that ends up, you know, taking you to success. But if you don't do those reps and like be feeling, you know, being ready to either fail or just have like really small wins that might be as small as like a little site that makes you a couple hundred dollars. Like that's a great project that, you know, I don't, I think people sometimes underestimate how much those small side projects, if you do enough of them are really how you're trained, you can train yourself to start a company. Uh,
1: uh, speaking of job. So what I know that was you guys' first startup together. Like what, and, uh, based on daily uh the daily elite elite daily uh you talked about how you you were still working on it even when he came up with the idea of teespring like did you feel like there was potential in it or was it just because you had already started it you didn't feel like giving up giving
0: it up um a little of both i mean i think i was at the time like really young like i was you know a junior in college a senior in college so i didn't like I I would say that I had a lot of belief in myself and this is still true of me that like, I just believe that if I keep going, you know, I will get somewhere good. Like I believe that whatever I put my energy towards, if I'm really, if I'm really serious about it, if I really um, pour myself into it, like any direction that I like go hard in, I will find something worthwhile there. And that was how I felt with jobs. like, um, looking back on it do I think it had like a lot of potential not really but I was um, it was what I had you know it was the project I was currently working on it was where my head was at I had ideas of features that could have been more differentiating for it and other things like uh, that I wanted to build and so yeah I was still just like in that mindset of like keep building this see what happens see how it goes and then you just have to be you also have to be really willing to let go of things so uh, you know, you you want to have that that drive and that dedication to like to the thing that you're working on, but also like if if there's another opportunity that's just shining so brightly that like um it's kind of obvious it's a better path. If you're not willing to like leave behind everything else you did and just see it all as like an exercise you did to train to do this next thing, then you can definitely get held back if you're not what ready to make the le- leap.
1: See, taking that into consideration, I know a lot of, uh, especially with personal experience and just seeing people do it, people come up with the idea and they get hitched on it. Even though it's a bad idea that's losing their money, they just right. get hitched on it. And then the, people usually think, oh, but I think it's a good idea. And because I think it's a good idea, even though I'm going bankrupt and losing all my money, this is going to work out because every other startup like this works out. Do you think they should probably take take a step back and think about What they're doing, or maybe they should continue what on the path that
0: they're at. I I think it's a you know, it's a really like it gets fuzzy because it starts to depend on what that person's criteria for evaluating their idea is. Like if they have a really, if they are, if they do have some really powerful insight, and they have some really, you know, good way of looking at that and and understanding it there maybe they maybe it is a good idea for them to keep working on it but i think a lot of case in a lot of cases it comes up that somebody creates a product they launch it they don't get the results that they were hoping for and they do they are still attached to it you know they're not willing to to like really see the reality of the what the user feedback is showing them about the viability of their product so I think it's just a matter of like staying in touch with what's true and if you can find some truth in there of like oh well we do have this user segment that actually is really loving our product maybe we can expand stuff that like that that group of people will will resonate more with then perhaps there's a path right like I'm not trying to I'm not saying like there's no path I'm saying um if it's not there be realistic with yourself like if you feel like you're kind of like, no, like you're, you know, there's definitely a a sort of just a sense of it. Um, and, um, and it's a tough, it's a tough one. It's, it's often, it often is where people kind of have to make that decision. And do I think people get attached to their ideas? Like, yeah, absolutely. You know, but, but like, sort of like what I'm trying to say here is that was I attached to jobs? Yes. But what I was more, attached to when i zoomed out and i took a bigger like a bigger picture look i i was very dedicated to like working hard and making something work and i was curr- like i was thinking about doing that with job soul but that that was actually what was really core to me was that desire to like to to push something through until it worked and right. and so um i think it also another it can be helpful for for folks who are having these these inner debates and these, you know, making these decisions to sort of really see like, okay, what is it about this that is so core? Yeah. Is it, is it actually the product that I'm so attached to, or is it just like the process that I'm attached to, or is it like something about the way I'm working on this that I'm attached to? And, and maybe it's, maybe it's not the, and, and hopefully it's, you know, really be realistic about, Oh, well, it's actually not so specifically about, like this product. I can still have a lot of what the reasons why I'm in this. And um, the product idea might be something slightly different.
1: So being attached, speaking of being attached to stuff, you know, like computer science students go into a degree and especially me when I was thinking of doing, uh, I'm doing engineering now, but my first thought Mm -hmm. was computer science. My first thought was like, you know, I get my computer science degree, I'm going to work at Google. So Mm -hmm. I, I I, I read that you got the opportunity to get an interview at Google. So what was that experience like for you and the experience and the disappointment of not getting hired or was that like the best thing that could have happened possibly
0: well looking back on it you know i think that when i went into the interviews at google my goal like i did want to it wasn't like i went there not wanting to get the internship i was i would have been happier if i had gotten the internship now I'm probably glad looking back that i um that I didn't just because it put me on the path that I'm on now, which I'm very happy with. But at the time, like I considered it a failure. And I was just a little bit egotistical and sort of not, I don't think I was empathetic, but as empathetic back then um, as uh, as I could have been about like thinking about what how my interviewer might have felt, you know, interviewing me. And so, um that's something that if i were to go back and you know not necessarily like saying i would want to like go take the google internship but if i was just trying to like get the google internship um you know because i think my attitude was very like i'm gonna be successful i'm gonna make sure i'm like you know exceeding expectations and climbing you know if i was thinking about working at google like all i was thinking about was I want to be in charge of something at Google. Like, I want to be, like, because I wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I I thought, you know, maybe at a company like Google that has like a lot of engineering and pods and things like that, maybe I could somehow become a leader of one. But I wasn't, I was out of touch with the reality of like a large corporation like Google. Like, you can't just like come in as an intern and the next thing you know, you're leading a team. It's like people are striving their whole careers. And so having someone even there suggesting that that could be a possibility is kind of offensive Some so, Valley stuff right <laughs> said, yeah yeah <laughs> That was a good show so i think i was just a little you know i think that attitude of mine it was something that worked better in meetings with like venture capitalists than it did in meetings with like google uh hiring managers
1: um so after that google interview uh that was mo- that was basically was that the spring like after that was that the time when you guys really started t- teespring really came a thing or how does that timeline work out?
0: Oh, I mean, it was all just kind of around the time of like, you know, me figuring out my summer internships or like post college jobs and like yeah. different options that I was exploring. And I, there were a few companies that I was excited about working at or thought I might want to work at. Google was definitely one of them. Um, I love a, a lot of Google's products, I really do appreciate. And I think yeah. that they often aren't um, too like, disrespectful of like user data so uh anyway so so yeah uh so google pixar was another one i was excited about because i'm really into making art with computers so i thought it would be cool to work in animation Um, but anyway um you know it was more like uh i felt out my options and not that I was getting any of these jobs, but I think that I could have gotten some kind of tech job, definitely. And it was just more that, like, I felt more called towards, you know, really okay. just doing yeah. something of my own. Yeah. So like that just appealed to me a lot more. Like even if I was gonna get paid less, I was like, that's that's like it's more exciting to me.
1: So about ten years ago today, actually, Fishco shut down. Uh, so and then uh, I'm wondering how did that it was on your elite daily about november 4th of 2010 and uh i'm curious how did that free the shirts how was selling the shirts really impacted your like teespring idea
0: yeah absolutely so i think this is this goes back to what what we were saying earlier because we were talking about like how to evaluate your ideas and how to decide when it's time to switch and one signal to so so one thing is if you're not experimenting, then you'll never even get these signals because you won't have your feelers out there. And so one of the things that I think Walker was really great about was constantly running these little side hustles and experiments and just kind of seeing what worked and seeing what people would pay for. And um, with the Fishco one, I think that was really a good a good example of. Um, putting a product out there and seeing what someone's willing to buy and finding that in fact there's a product market opportunity where there's like people want to buy a thing. In this case, it was um, just to give a little background story for you know a listener who's hearing this. There's um, a bar that got shut down in my college town, which was known as like the place where everyone would go for their underage drinking. And this happened around the time when like Walker and I were kind of working on jobs and sort of thinking about what we would do as we were going to graduate. And um, Walker had the idea of um, creating a commemorative t-shirt for this bar and selling it to people in our community, because it really was like a thing that a lot of people were very upset about. And So it feels like there's um, an opportunity, business opportunity, kind of uh, a cultural moment. And so he did, what he did was um, he... He decided to, uh, instead of like printing the shirts ahead of time, like a normal strategy might have been like, okay, so we go to the print shop, get the shirts printed, then we sell them. But the this was like a very in the moment thing, like the bar had shut down, people cared about it today. And so um, Walker's approach was to create a landing page that sold a picture of the shirt, which he Photoshopped together and it was all a pre-order. So it was this thing where it's like, oh, if you put in enough orders, like if we got to, I think it was like a hundred, it's like if we sell a hundred, then we'll take your orders and we'll know exactly what sizes everybody wants. And then we'll already have the money to go and we'll be able to get it done perfectly to order at the print shop. So just like flipping flipping around the order of operations, kind of like a Kickstarter, uh, it's a pretty good innovation. And um, I think the realization there was that for like, we sold like 300 of those shirts. I mean, it was like, people really did like, wanna buy this thing that was relevant to their moment and kind of limited edition and um, being a part of this like movement. Yeah. And, um, and so to kind of come back around to, to what we were talking about before, that was an aha moment where we just saw, okay, so we've been working on this job site for a long time, but you know, in the entire time we've, been running it, we've made like $3,000 in revenue or something like that. And that's like not nothing. Like if you had like a model that you think you can expand on, but it wasn't really clear like how we were going to scale that up. And then on the other hand, we had this t- Vishgo thing where we sell, you know, 300, 400 shirts and all of a sudden we're pocketing $2,000 yeah. out of that. And that's like over the course of one weekend. So finding that little thing that really did work it was a i think it was a good spark of a thing to chase and if that's why it was you know it was a wake-up call to like oh okay maybe jobs is not what we should be working on and here's the universe is kind of telling us like hey uh or that maybe you could say the market is telling us um <laughs> like here's a thing that people are actually willing to pay for um and i think that was really the genesis of teespring when we decided okay let's let's see if we can build a platform so that everyone can make these um, you know spin up these little t-shirt sales or kind of kickstarter for for anything
1: right that that's that's uh i feel like that's a lot that kind of transitioned a lot into that into the 20th century like if you go into 2010 to 2020 anything that happened people were making shirts and selling it like it was just it just became such a widespread thing that people were making millions of dollars off just doing that Right. So, what was your process? So, the moment you guys were like, you know what, this is it. What was your process of just starting it up? Like, you were like, okay, let's start up with this idea and let's build on it. So, how is that process like?
0: Yeah, there was some, I guess you could call it like architectural conversations. Like I remember that there was this one guy and, you know, it's important always to remember like ask for help because people, there were going to be people. And I think that like, you're doing a great job of this with your podcast here. Cause I I love the message of it that you're kind of saying, Hey, there's people who have already done this stuff. Why don't I talk to them and learn from them? And like, that's absolutely, that's like, that is the way to, to improve and to, to like um, level yourself up. But there are situations, right, where sometimes we just don't have all the tools at our disposal. We need help. And for me, one of those moments was when we, we were designing the architecture, software architecture, for Teespring for the first time. Like I just didn't have a lot of experience application development, but not a lot of experience with DevOps or architect, like systems architecture. Right. And we had a meeting where basically we sat down with this guy. I don't even know, some guy from the computer science department who just was more advanced than me and happened to be really good at this stuff. Yeah. And we sat down for maybe two hours, hour or two hours, and he, he helped me like whiteboard out everything we would build. like and And so that is to say that the next step, once you kind of got a clear sense of what market opportunity you're going for is you, you ask yourself, okay, well, what's the minimum viable product next that lets me test, you know, test this market more. Right. And then, um, and then furthermore, like if that goes well, right. If like a totally minimally viable, like like a hack together, like, like even free fish code could be kind of considered like a minimally viable product for Teespring. It's just like totally hacked together one-off. And so you're going to do stuff like that to validate your idea more but you also at the same time need to be asking yourself okay well, well the version of this thing that actually has the ability to grow do we have the like between the co-founders here can we make that you know like
1: you have the resources to do it
0: do we have the skills do we have the knowledge do we have money if there's a- aspects of it that need to be somehow either if it's like uh, aws fees or uh, some contract you know we need to get a designer whatever it is like do we have the resources to take this to the next level? And if the answer is like, yes, we're figuring out, we do have the resources to take this to the next level, we can see that path and our like really hacky MVPs are going well, then yeah, you're on the right path. You know, that's, that's like a, that's a smooth sailing kind of situation for the very, very early stage.
1: So how did you get people to come on your site? Like it, it, you said it kind of started blowing up in 2013, but that's only two years. Like that's within two years. How'd you get a lot of attraction then?
0: you know with teespring it was the the driving dynamic behind our growth was the fact that we outsourced our marketing to the users so you know every this is something that's going to be different for every product like what's really the the kind of the hook how it gets how it's able to um, you know get get started and and get spread Um, but with teespring it was pretty it was pretty clear it was like. a person who creates a Teespring campaign has an incentive to share that link with people because they want them to buy their thing. So it's kind of baked into the system that like it would grow, right? So you're just, sorry, go go ahead. Yeah, so I was gonna say what needed to happen for Teespring was we needed to have a few people running campaigns whose audiences, the people they were gonna reach were also people who might wanna run their own campaigns. You know, and, and I think that in the very beginning, this was where we run into problems. So like the the whole like way we got started was we were going one off to these um, to these various like charities and organizations and other people that we thought might want to run fundraisers. And while they would like each one of them would be fine, like we would sell like a few hundred shirts here, a few hundred shirts there. But. The problem was that none of their followers really like would then come back and become Teespring sellers, so it didn't have like a viral loop right. element to it. Um, but when we did really start to take off, it was because um, it was it happened because of uh, the the Facebook groups. So there was a girl who had just like a Facebook page, like a really generic Facebook page. Um, it was for, it was like a Midwestern themed one, like big truck, mud and bonfires and country girls. It was really funny actually. <laughs> and so she made, um, you know, uh, she made this shirt that said something like, don't flatter yourself, cowboy. I was looking at your truck. <laughs> and uh, that shirt really took off like that. I remember um, the feeling like it was really exciting when we were watching the, the like our Google analytics because she posted that into her group. And at that time, Facebook groups happened to actually be Huge, quite like they had a lot more reach, right? Yeah. Like Facebook would give you, like if you posted something to a group, most of the people in that group would see it in their feed. Yeah. Nowadays, it's a lot, it's a lot more, there's a lot more algorithms that like, if it's a random group that people won't probably see their yeah. the stuff that's in it. Um, but yeah, what really like kind of ignited the, the whole fire there was that then other Facebookers saw that she was doing that and then all of a sudden growth just exploded out from there yeah
1: so during your time at teespring at the beginning stages you guys were offered one million dollar from a venture capitalist were you not what's the story behind that <clears throat>
0: um i don't know exactly i'm not sure i know exactly what uh <laughs> what story you mean so uh, on your
1: elite daily you guys uh, someone wanted to buy teespring from you guys
0: Oh, okay. Yes. That story. So somebody, there was a time early on in, this, in the history of the company when, um, it wasn't for a million dollars, but it was, there was a, <laughs> there was a, a bigger company, actually a company you may, you may have heard of Co- custom ink. Um, oh, another wow. big, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Like it's like yeah. they, they're like the, the leader in kind of like online print to order shirts. Yeah. Right. And so um, there's always been like a lot of, kind of overlap between our two businesses um and so they were interested in acquiring us but not for like a really large desirable price like it was an amount that was kind of going to be like i don't know like we might have each have made a few hundred thousand dollars maybe a million dollars i'm not exactly sure but um you know it, it was at the time like we we had a lot of promise and so um we just had like, you know, we had a, we had a number, like we had a price where we would have sold the business, but we just, they just weren't, they weren't willing to pay that. And so, um, Plus that conversation were, just didn't, you
1: guys were going, like you guys were growing up, like you were going up, like in, uh, your prices, so if they couldn't meet that demand, like what would be the point of selling it for a low ball value when you knew you, there's more potential to it?
0: No, totally. I think, you know, I feel like for entrepreneurs, it's, it's always a balance, right? Because if you're doing really well and you own a lot of your company, there is probably some tipping point where it's like, you know, if I own 20% of my company and suddenly my company's worth like $20 million, well, now my shares in my company are worth $4 million. And like, I think that even if a co- like, I think that even for people, if their companies are like doing really well, that's why it's worth like 20 million, but it seems like it could go up into like the the tens, the high tens to hundreds. There is still a thought that's like, well, $4 dollars like that's a lot of that's money that's enough for me to like buy a nice house not have to work for like a 10 yeah. year, 10 years like it, it gives you um so oh. it, it gives you it gives you enough right and so yeah. so i think that for entrepreneurs there's there is this balance like and, and I, I also find that not everyone needs to be like a billion dollar company right like right. it's fine to it's fine to like have some companies that are just like you know you can make a very comfortable living and, yeah. and be running a company that's worth 10 to 20 million dollars
1: yeah that's still a lot 10 to 20 million dollar company is still a successful company like that's a company that succeeded its job market like it's it's still selling like you're still making money every year
0: well you know it's it's kind of like i feel like most of the company these days at least in silicon valley ecosystem there's sort of like these different stages of like, you know, an angel funded company, seed stage company, right. when people start to get up into the like $10 million, $20 million valuation, what that usually is an indicator is, is that it's like a promising company, but that they haven't like totally like proven their product market fit, but they've almost proven their product market fit to like a some some sca- big scalable market. Um, right. Yeah.
1: So while we're known like household name, like they're almost there, just haven't just haven't paid it. The, they're probably having some errors along the way that could be fixed that could improve their or maybe the company's just done like they've reached their max audience has ever
0: that could possibly have occurred right well that's a big concern you know i mean i think when when investors are looking at a company they're always trying to figure out like okay this is how much business they're doing now is that is this company like Pretty much like t- saturating up, like it's it's market, or is this just like the very, very beginning of something that's like going for a rocket ship growth? And so, at least with Teespring, we had the lucky situation of being definitely the latter. Like it looked like the latter. I mean, we had our growth numbers were going like you know one million one month to like three million the next month to so, like ten million a couple months after yeah. that. So like really that that was looking like holy shit, this thing's going to the moon. Um, but the big, the big issue with our company at that stage was, even though we were growing a lot, all of our growth was happening because of one sort of type of growth, one, and it was all in the ecosystem of Facebook. And so it left us quite vulnerable there.
1: Right, so, so fast forward a few years uh, to before you quit, was, was there any big significant changes that you made, the company made, or had the company been running the same way it did from the beginning?
0: Oh, I mean, no, no, The company like it went through so many transformations, and right. I learned a lot about running a company, and I learned about my limitations of, you know, uh, like w- what what I was good at, when I was good, at, where I was good at managing people, yeah. and where not. And so, um, yeah, I, I, I mean, really, like, okay, just to learn like long TLDR of like Teespring history. What yeah. happened was that in 2015 we were going really have very high revenues, right? but it was very concentrated on these like sort of different ways of kind of selling stuff on Facebook. Right. And after that, um, Facebook started to sort of change their rules, change their regulations, and eventually selling stuff through Teespring on Facebook just became a lot less profitable. Right. Um, and, uh, that really forced us into a situation of like, oh my God, we just raised all this money, but we've been spending much more. And so yeah. we, we ended up having to lay off like at least 50% of our staff, which at the time was hundreds of people. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there was a very major layoff and the company restructured to, to you know, all of these iterations of just um, us trying to get closer to where we weren't just like growing, but we were actually like making a bottom line margin. Yeah. And so that's like, that was kind of the, 2016 through even today the company is kind of like coming back but in a more sustainable and more profitable way so it's it's more flatlining now or
1: flatlining and going up and but it's not like you're losing money anymore to the extent where you need to shut down
0: the companies like come from the brink of having to shut down to where the top line numbers aren't growing spectacularly although this year has been quite good yeah but um the we've we've gotten it to where we're making a profit on the net revenues and that's a big change from before uh
1: so as a as a as a person who's uh gone and started up a company that succeeded uh what would you tell listeners or people that are trying to start up a company and they're just in the starting phases of it like Mm-hmm. How, how should they motivate themselves to continue that process Or people that haven't started? What, sh- what should they do to, you know, what kind of ideas should they be looking for if they're trying to make a make a company that would be just as successful, if not more?
0: Well, it's important to know your superpowers and to also know, you know, know your blind spots and and to think about the risks that those things create. Right. So like you might be amazing at marketing, but not very strong technically. If that's the case, then you're you have a risk, a big risk, a big blind spot around execution of creating the product, right? And on the and but maybe you don't have as much of a, a blind spot on going to market, and vice versa. Like you know, an engineer maybe they're they're low risk on um, on building the product, but high risk on on getting it out there, right? So I I really think that one of the things that teams can do early on to de-risk is to Be very thoughtful and aware of their shortcomings and of their superpowers, and to also like then use that knowledge to build the right team, where you're you have different people who are complementing each other, and are able to to you know fill in some of those like gaps. So I I think, like, ideal, I mean, really, like, yeah, finding the right co-founders is is so crucial. Like, that should be, like, a big part of the consideration at that early stage. And it's a combination of finding those complementary skill sets that lowers your risk in different areas and also finding a person who's highly motivated and as motivated as you and who you feel will hold you to your highest standard of your best self and your best work. And so, if you can kind of get that, then you're you have a strong co-founding team, and um, you know that's the thing. That's something that you can't fix later. Like you can't, you you can't read more books on like good product strategy and right. improve your co-founding team, right? But but so having the right people from the start is going to really be the biggest determinant of how well you do.
1: Right. So with having learned all this stuff from uh, from your past uh, experience. Right. And so people succeed once and they tend to not succeed again. Right. Or they do succeed again. But so having learned your experience from Teespring, what kind of stuff have you taken from that and what kind of stuff are you using right now so that you can probably make another successful company, which I'm assuming you're probably going to be doing at this point time and point?
0: I mean, I've taken a lot of what I've learned and I've tried to think about really, you know, really look at what did I do wrong and I've looked at what did I do well and what were my strengths and um, just getting to know myself better as a sort of like, like exactly what I was just saying before. Like that's, that's where I'm at now. I'm in the process of finding the right co-founders and then going into ideation, but we're really not focusing so hard on like, what's the right idea at this time. It's more like, I mean, we, we're trying to figure that out, but we're taking plenty of time to figure that out. It's a longer yeah. process. We're like looking at a bunch of different things and testing a bunch of different stuff. Um,
1: so and, do, you um, like,
0: do you feel like as as you've already
1: created a product that was successful, right, that now, that now instead of rushing it, you have more time and uh, you have more knowledge to think about a product that you believe in and you believe that would succeed a lot better than your last one?
0: Well, I have time to think about my, about what I'm trying to put into the world. I think that when I started Teespring, it wasn't like I was really thinking a lot about, well, what do I want to create? How do I want to change the the world? Like, what am I trying? T- it was more like, how can I become successful? How can I start? A, uh, you know, like I, I was more focused on just like doing well, because it was right. like my first company and that was where my head is at. But now looking back on it, I'm like, well, oh, great. Yeah, we like succeeded. But like at what you know like i'm really now i'm really concerned about sustainability and the environment things like that and so i would never work in in like physical goods really again unless maybe it's like food or something like that but i'm not as interested in like consumer like consumable disposable Mm -hmm. products like i I don't i think we need to like to have less things and extract less from the earth so now like coming back around to it i'm able to like be a bit more principled about like, what am I really trying to build? How am I trying to impact the world? And I have more, I have more flexibility to do that because it is easier for me to raise money now. And I have more like personal runway now. So I'm just able to, you know, be more thoughtful about what exactly, how not just like, do I want to succeed, but like, how do I want to succeed? What do I want that success to look like? But I would argue that like, even even if you're just starting for the first time, that's still totally worth thinking about yeah. um, because you're only going to live once and you're not going to get back these opportunities. And if you're going to really pour yourself in, devote yourself to something, yeah, make sure that you're actually aligned with like wanting to make that change in the world.
1: Yeah, of course, especially in the times that we live in, who knows what kind of idea that you could come up with that could save millions of lives in the future
0: sure yes there's definitely lots of opportunities (laughs) to
1: take it it to the extreme
0: (laughs) yeah yeah
1: (laughs) but yeah okay anyway I really appreciate your time thank you so much and I wish you the best of luck with your uh, next project I cannot I cannot wait to see it and I'm excited
0: thank you Hassan I really appreciate you taking this time to speak with me and um, I hope that they I hope that your podcasting goes well. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm definitely excited about um, everything I've seen so far. So great job. Okay, thanks so much.
1: We'll talk next time.
0: All right. Time. Bye right, bye.